And we're, gonna, we're picking up the story right after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so it kind of begins with a little bit of crowd noise, which doesn't quite make sense um, until you know that that's what's just happened. And to some degree, this passage feels like it's disconnected. But I hope what you'll see today is that Jesus is very intentional in what he is doing. The fig tree, the cleansing of the temple, and the teaching on prayer are all absolutely interconnected. So let's go to the scripture. We're going to look at it, and then we're going to explore it together. Let's go ahead and play the clip. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Well, unfortunately, my microphone has given up the spirit. 
It has died and gone where all microphones go, which is eventually to the trash. So I'm going to do my best to not move around too much so that you can, you can hear me. Um, but that's difficult for me. So we'll see what happens. All right, let me just give us a little bit of a review based on what you saw and what we studied last week. You, you see in the passage there at the beginning in verse 11 that Jesus goes in the night before and he examines the temple. He investigates it. He looks around and sees everything. This is because at Passover, he had, he had cleared the temple once before. Earlier in his ministry, he had cleaned out the money changers. And this was, in, this was something that was not the usual setup within the temple. But these money changers and the, and the sacrificial animals that were there and the commerce that was happening all was a result of the influx of people that came for Passover. And early in his ministry, according to John chapter 2, Jesus had cleared out the temple. And so he comes back to see if this Passover, if it has changed. And we see that Jesus recognizes that it hasn't changed. And so the next thing that happens is he gives a living and an acted parable. As he's walking the next morning with his disciples to Jerusalem, he's there on the Mount of Olives, and there is a fig tree that is barren. It has no fruit. And as we looked at last week, we we learned that there are two crops of fruit that come on a fig tree. There's an early fig, the poor man's fig, that should have been there when the tree was in leaf. But there was absolutely nothing. It was completely barren. And Jesus uses that as a parable to tell the story and help people understand that the temple had become barren because those who were in leadership had turned away from serving the Lord, from making it a place that connected with people's needs and brought them to a relationship with God that helped them to find forgiveness. And it had become some place that was self-seeking. And so Jesus is angry, not just because of the money that is being exchanged and the people that are trying to profit, but even more because of what he says there where he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look for just a moment to see where that comes from because it's so important for us to truly understand this passage. What Jesus is quoting is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 56. And let me read to you just verses 6 and 7. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath, which represents um, being in covenant relationship with the Lord, and does not profane it, and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And as we looked at last week, as we looked at the the picture of the temple, we saw that where these booths were set up, where all this um, crazy activity was happening, was in the area that was the court of the Gentiles. So no one from the nations could come to the temple of God to pray. They were being shut out, and Jesus is angry. Because the purpose of the temple was for people to meet with God. And that is exactly what was not happening. And so Jesus, in in referring to this, 
you know, he, he refers back to what had been told in the book of Isaiah about how all nations, all people were being welcomed to his house as a house of prayer. But what they were experiencing in his day was that the people were being shut out. And so that's the background of what Jesus teaches now on prayer. So let's look at it here in Mark chapter 11 and, and see what it says. Beginning in verse 20. And they passed by in the morning, and they saw a fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Now, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say anything about the fig tree. He says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, unfortunately, this passage is often taken out of context. And when it is, it is often misused and used to teach things that it really isn't saying. If we can picture what was happening here, Jesus and his disciples and this fig tree were on the Mount of Olives. And across the valley from them would have been a clear view of the temple in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. And just to the right, if you looked a little farther over, you would see the Dead Sea. So when Jesus is saying, when you speak to this mountain, he's not just picking anything. He's referring to the place of worship. He's referring to what is supposed to have been a house of prayer. And he's referring to the temple. And so he says, if you were to say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, it would happen. It was a prophecy of exactly what was going to happen a few years later when the temple itself would be destroyed. But also, it was a picture of the reality of what would happen in just a few days. When, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom and it was no longer a place where the glory of God, the Shekinah, dwelt. Now what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and trying to teach us is he's helping them to understand that prayer is not about a place, it's not about a program, it's not even about a process, it is ultimately about a person. And so what he is doing is he's helping to transition his disciples who for for all of their life and for generations before them, when they thought of prayer, they always thought of the temple. Even today, if you go to Jerusalem, you will see that the Jews go and they pray at the Western Wall as close as they can get to what was the temple. Because deeply embedded in their hearts, prayer is connected with a place. But what does Jesus say? His answer is have faith in God. He's making the transition for him to understand that it's not the place, it's not the location that is that important, it's who we are praying to. And so he's teaching the disciples and the new church that would be born very soon after his resurrection, and he's teaching us what prayer really is and what a relationship with God is all about. The great preacher um, Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on this passage, puts it this way. He says this, Before a living faith, barren systems of religion will wither away. And the power of undoubting confidence in God 
mountains of difficulty shall be removed and cast into the sea. Have we ever spoken in Christ's name to barren fig trees and obstructing mountains, bidding them depart out of our way? If not, where is our faith? If we have faith and doubt not, we shall know the truth of this promise and it shall be done. Apart from the actual possession of unwavering faith, the words of our Lord will seem fabulous. Jesus is teaching us that prayer is incredibly powerful. It's powerful when it's focused in on the person of God himself. That's the secret. It's not about all the right words or the process that you do or the location that you're in. It's ultimately about a person. And so King Jesus is teaching us that faith can move mountains when you trust in the person of prayer and not in a place or a program. What he's doing is he's bringing to life what he had already told us in John chapter 4 when he's interacting with the woman from Samaria and talking about worship. Do you remember the question that this woman at the well asked? Well, let me remind you of it here in John chapter 4. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. You see how significant this question was in Jesus' day? Where you worship between Samaritans and Jews had caused great division. But Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you, excuse me, you worship as Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, that's the kind of worship that was no longer happening at the temple. It had become spiritually dry, barren. There was no fruit. And so Jesus came to bring us and to show us the Father so that we can have a vibrant life relationship that is fruitful with the Father through him. And that is the secret, ultimately, to powerful prayer as well. Let's look at that, because Jesus in this passage actually gives us some conditions of powerful prayer. I don't know about you, but I, I know that one of the weakest areas of my life spiritually is my prayer life. And I want the Lord to change that, to change me. And so my hope is, as we examine Jesus' words about prayer... It will kick us a little more into, into action about learning to trust and be bold in coming before the Lord in prayer. So in verses 22 of Mark chapter 11, Jesus, our King, gives us conditions for powerful prayer. He says this, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, 
so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your sin, of your trespasses. Well, here in this passage, Jesus gives us some, or some conditions for prayer. The first one is to have faith in God. Now, that sounds super simple. But understand that for generations, their faith was in the temple. This is why they would swear by the temple. When Jesus would say things, when he would talk and pronounce um, judgment upon the Pharisees, he would say things, you know, you swear by the gold on the temple or you, you, make, you swear on different things. They were putting their trust in their heritage, having grown up as a descendant of Abraham. They were putting their trust in the temple, in their traditions. And the same thing can happen today. If we're putting our trust in the fact that we come from a Christian family or that we grew up in church or that we're part of a particular denomination or following or, or, uh, following or understanding, we're on dangerous territory. Our faith, no matter what our background, no matter where we're from, has to be in one thing only, and that is God himself. And so Jesus is trying to steer us back to understand what faith is. Because here's the, here's the truth. Many people believe that faith is about you and me. He's not saying that. He's saying faith is focused in on the object, on God himself. Faith is not emotional. It is relational. Faith is about our view of God. If your view of God is small or distant, then your faith will be small and distant. But if God, in your view and your understanding, is large, then your faith will be large. And so the way to grow our faith is not to work up more emotion. It is to have a bigger view of who God is. A more accurate view of his greatness, of his power, of his glory. So we have to, first of all, have faith in the person of God. God has proven his love and his character for you and I through his son, Jesus Christ. He's proven it, but so often that fades when we face difficulties, when we face those times when we feel like God is silent. We need to remember the character and the nature of God and how he has proved himself in the past. That builds faith. Secondly, we need to have faith in the purposes of God, that God's purpose is to work for his glory and for our good. His glory always comes first. But when we seek his honor to show his greatness, it will ultimately be for our good as well. So we need to put our faith in God's purpose, that his purpose for your life and for my life is far greater than anything that we have. Thirdly, we need to put our faith in the plan of God. So many times we can see God's purpose but we get frustrated by his plan because he seems to take a really, really long time. Is it anybody, would anybody say, yes, that's me? Yeah, yeah, me too. It's like, God, I do not get your timing. Hurry up already. Like yesterday would have been much better if you'd have just showed up. But here's the thing. God is working on a scale and he's weaving your life and my life together with so many others that his timing actually is completely perfect. His goodness is beautiful. I was so touched by, by Vartan sharing um, 
just about your parents, about the timing of how God protected them at the, in the explosion in Beirut. And this is, this is just a picture of how God does weave everything together. His parents had company, and, and they were escorting their company to, their, to the door of their apartment, of their flat. And they had just let them go, and they turned back, and they were in the one section of their apartment where there were no windows when the blast went off. And all the glass came into their bedroom, into their living area, and sh- covered everything in glass. Well, that was God's timing. It was God's protection over a precious couple that we love very much. And the same is true in our lives. Even when the outcome isn't as, as good as that or what we hope for, we can trust God's timing. But we have to choose to. We have to choose to place our trust in him, believing that he will be right on time. Fourthly, the real key to growing in our prayer life is to have faith in the promises of God. God keeps his word. Jesus, in clearing the temple, even in cursing the fig tree, was based upon the scriptures. It was based upon what he knew was there in Isaiah, what was prophesied and and what was at the very heart of God because his call upon Israel was to be a light to all nations, but they'd lost their mission. And so Jesus is bringing God's people back to its mission. And that's why he's quoting from Isaiah. It's the promise of God that God would reach out to every tribe, every tongue, every nation and bring them into relationship with him through his son. So we have to have faith in God. Understand that doubt comes not because your faith isn't worked up enough and that you don't have a clear enough picture, doubt comes when we take our eyes off of God and place them onto something or someone else. If we place our eyes onto the circumstances, it's just like Peter walking on the water. Do you remember that story? Peter, as long as he kept his eyes focused on Jesus Christ, was able to walk on the water. But the moment that he looked at the waves, he began to sink. The same is true in you and I when we doubt, when we take our eyes off of God. And what Jesus is doing is he's turning the eyes of the disciples from a place of prayer, the temple, to the person of prayer, God himself. And it's beautiful. He's teaching us what prayer and faith, how they work together. A great example of that is is Abraham. That's why he's celebrated as the father of faith is because, not because he got everything right. He made some really dumb mistakes. He he rebelled. He was fearful. But he also had a faith in God. When he put his eyes back on God, it was rock solid. Here's what Romans says about him. Romans chapter 4, verse 19, it says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old. Remember, God's promise to him was that he would be the father of many nations. That was his promise. And here he's 100 years old, wearing out. You know, I'm not quite there, but I'm getting closer every day to the 100 mark. And I can relate to how he feels. Okay? My body some days feels like it's as good as dead. Or when he considered, it goes on to say, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's how we build our faith. We look at God's promises because faith is our view of God. And the more accurate our view of God is, the more informed it is based upon his word and upon his promises, the stronger our prayer life will be as well. So first, Jesus gives them a focal point when he simply says, and he makes it as, as, as easy as possible, he says, have faith in God. That's it. It really is as simple as that. But that's the hardest thing there is to do. The second thing that he does is he's teaching them not to pray alone. Because in this passage, if you look at it in in the original language instead of in English, you discover that every time he's using the word you, when he's speaking to the disciples, he's using it in its plural form because he's talking about something that is communal, that is uh, corporate, that the body is to do together. One of the reasons why our prayer life often is weak is because we fail to pray together. And Jesus is teaching us the secret of being united in prayer. That's why he tells us in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 through 20, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So we need to challenge one another to pray together. And in fact, the the sermon insert that you got uh, today is, is, a, is a tool to challenge us to pray together. We're designed for community and to be connected together in prayer. And it's powerful when we practice this. Thirdly, answered prayer requires faith that leads to obedience. When you read the word believe in the scriptures, if we're to understand its biblical meaning you'll recognize that it ultimately leads to obedience. We only truly believe that which we obey. They are intricately connected. So it's not about just working up enough energy and saying, oh, I believe, I believe. It's about obedience. If we believe, we will obey. That's what he tells us here in verse 23. And does not doubt in his heart. He has a clear view of God, but believes that what he says will come to pass and it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. In other words, live in obedience like it's coming true. That's exactly what he's saying. And then it will be yours. But belief and obedience have to be connected. Because faith can only be measured by obedience. How much I trust God and you trust God will be seen by how much of our life aligns to what God says. That's really where it comes to. God's word has given us instruction that shows us how these two are connected. One of the beautiful things when you read through the the book of Romans it begins and ends with the exact same theme. Let me give you the ending of it here at, at the, um, uh, in Romans chapter 16. This is the doxology, which is so beautiful. This is Paul's prayer. 
He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. That's the purpose. He's telling us that he begins actually in chapter one and shows us that's the reason why he wrote the book of Romans. Is that faith is reflected in obedience. To bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. When you read believe in the scripture, if it doesn't automatically translate into your own life and you're asking the question, am I obeying? Then you need to recognize that you don't really believe. Fourthly, Answered prayer requires a right relationship with God and with others. It may seem strange that Jesus ends this passage with forgiveness, specifically forgiveness of others. He says in verse 25, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. You see, We can't expect for our prayers to be answered if we're not in a right relationship with God and in a unified, right relationship with others as well. All right, now what I'm going to do is quickly is I'm going to, and this is in that little insert that I gave you. If you have one, there's, if you don't, you can pick one up on the way out. But I made made a little acronym and I turned the conditions around. Okay, I put them in the reverse order just because I had to make a, a little acronym, and, I'm, and it's called fast prayer. Now, this doesn't mean that your answer will come fast. In fact, if you want to think of the word fast, maybe it's better to think about, hey, I should fast and pray, which means deny myself of some things so that I can focus more on my praying. Praying? Yeah. Wow. It's a new word. It's a new dialect. Yeah. Focus more on my praying. But here it is. Here's fast prayers. Starts with the F, forgiveness. God only answers our prayers when we are in a right relationship with him and with others. And so if we want our prayers to be answered, we need to seek reconciliation and forgive others as God has forgiven us. That's purely exactly what it means. And I've given you there some scriptures in 1 Timothy and Matthew and 1 Peter and Ephesians 4. Did you realize that in the the relationship between a husband and wife, when you have conflict, 1 Peter says that that conflict hinders your prayers. When we have conflict with others, it causes our prayers to not be answered because God wants us to get the relationship right first. And of course, first we have to have a right relationship with with him through faith in Jesus Christ. Because Timothy tells us there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We have to have faith in him. And so forgiveness is key to prayer. The A is ask and believe. And what did I say believe is connected to? Thank you. At least one, one got it. Okay. But ask and believe. Ask and obey. That's really what it means. Fix your heart and your eyes on God himself, fully convinced that God will keep his promises. Faith is measured by obedience every single time. 
And there really are three dimensions in our prayer. Because, you see, our faith is connected to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's why all three are involved in our prayers, by the way. We pray to God the Father that his kingdom will come, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray to the Father, but we pray through Jesus the Son. He is our mediator. He is our high priest. And so we pray in his name. That's why it's no longer about praying at a temple. It's about praying in the name of Jesus because that's telling us to have our lives be aligned with his purposes, his will, and his character. So we pray to God the Father through Jesus the Son and we pray by and with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that will transform your prayer life is if you simply begin when you're praying and say, Holy Spirit, would you show me how and what to pray? And where there's areas where my life is focused so much on myself or on sin, would you reveal that to me so that I can pray what you want me to pray? That will change your prayer life. It will empower it because it's made to be relational. But we are designed to ask. And when we ask in prayer, we are showing and declaring our dependence upon God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's why he has us pray. It's an exercise of our faith, of saying, Lord, only you can make this happen. Only you can provide for my needs. Only you can move this mountain that's right in front of me that seems so consuming. When we ask, we declare our dependence. The S is to share prayer with others. We're meant to pray in harmony with others for God's glory and God's work. That's why the early church was so powerful. It tells us in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper, and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Prayer unites us as a people, as a church. And prayer for it to be answered requires unity under Christ, submission to him, a humility of understanding it's not about me. It's important that our prayers transition from me prayers to we prayers. To think about the community of believers, to think about the church, to think about what God is doing amongst his people rather than just about ourselves. And then finally, T is trust in the person, power, purpose, plan, and promises of God. When we do that, our prayers become powerful. So what I want to encourage us to do is I want to encourage you, if, either if you have it now or if you'll pick one up when you go out, is to apply this. Let's challenge one another to doing these things, to pursuing prayer together. And the first thing I want to invite you to do is to form a prayer band, a group of two or more people where you will agree to pray together about one thing each. Now, it can grow beyond that, but you, you begin with the mountain that's in front of you, the thing that seems humanly impossible. And you agree to pray based upon God's requirements and pray in unity with other believers about that one thing. 
So I want to encourage you to form a, a prayer band. Just like we have worship bands that play together, the idea is for us to pray in harmony with each other and in sync with the timing of God, of his will, of his purpose, of his plan, and to allow our prayers to become offerings of praise as we do them together. So form a prayer band. Pick someone you trust. And, and, and here's the thing. If someone invites you to, to pray with them, please say yes. But also, whatever it is, whatever it's about, keep it absolutely confidential. Unless there's some reason where, where harm would come to someone, make it a place of safety, of confidence. Because it's, it's holy being asked by someone else to pray with you. And then commit yourselves to, to doing these conditions, the F-A-S-T. Forgiveness, asking and obeying, sharing with others, and trusting in the person of God. And then what I want to invite you to do is to take Jesus at his word. Because when he uses this example, he's saying the things that are humanly impossible with God become a reality when we fully trust in him and when it's aligned to his will and his purpose. So we can boldly go, Hebrews tells us, that we have such a high priest that we can boldly go into the Holy of Holies, we can boldly go to the throne of God with our prayers. So if you really want to see transformation happen, identify the mountain in your life. The thing that you would say right now, this is, is most heavy on my heart, or maybe this is, this is limiting my spiritual growth or limiting a relationship. Whatever it is, maybe it's, Maybe it's something that's heavy on your heart. It's the salvation of a friend or a loved one. Maybe it's a destructive habit that you've been struggling with for, for a long time. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's your thought life that just seems to, to run in all the wrong directions. Maybe you're dealing with financial problems or a broken relationship or Ill, illness or fear or undefeated sin in your life. Whatever the mountain is, whatever it looks like, the place to take it is to Lord in prayer and to join with others and say, we want to see the Lord be glorified by providing an answer in the midst of this difficulty. See, here's the thing. I, I told you that faith is our view of God. Oftentimes, we pray safe prayers because we don't believe God will show up. Jesus tells us to pray bold prayers as long as we meet the right conditions. Now, this isn't name it and claim it. He's not saying that at all. And it's not about prosperity. In fact, when you read through the scriptures, you discover that oftentimes the answer is accompanied by suffering because it draws us to the very heart of God. So understand there's a, there's a great balance here. But we can take Jesus at his word. And we can trust him if we'll choose to do so. So what you want to do then is after you have identified the mountain, you want to ask some questions in prayer before the Lord, and together. This is why we want to do it together. You want to ask, how could God be made known through this mountain? Whatever that area of prayer or need is, how could deliverance or change or reconciliation, how could God's greatness be known through it? 
Secondly, we need to ask, could God be allowing this to bring you or others into obedience in their life in some area? Do you realize that the reason why the answer that Paul got back when he prayed three times for God to remove the thorn in his flesh, when the answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, it was actually God's blessing? Because Paul had a tendency towards pride. His great knowledge had a tendency to have him become arrogant and divisive. And the thorn in the flesh was actually a gift of God that helped him be obedient and faithful. You see, we need to look and see what answer is actually for God's glory and our ultimate good. Because maybe the difficulty is actually for your good. Thirdly, if God would be more glorified by giving you the grace to climb this mountain rather than move it, will you choose to still praise him? And then I want to urge you to pray God's promises. When he says, have faith in God, we have to know who God is and what he says. And so you want to search through the scriptures together and look for what God says about that issue, either in the life of someone else, how he answered it in a person in the scripture, or what his promises are. And if you have trouble, if you get stuck, and you need help finding some of those promises, just email me or one of the elders. Um, We'll do our best to help you find what God's word says about it. And then, as you're praying God's promises, choose to obey. Ask him to show you areas of your life that need to be brought into alignment with God's will and God's purpose. And then I want to encourage you to worship in the midst of it. Because here's the thing. God invites us to worship in the dark because God himself is the light. He will draw us to himself. As I look back at my life, I see that so many times the seasons of waiting and uncertainty were actually the times when I grew most in intimacy with God. So I have reason to worship him. And just to make it, I found this somewhere else. I take no credit for it. But you need to remember these things. Only Jesus can turn your mess into a message. Only Jesus can turn a test into a testimony. Only Jesus can turn a trial into a triumph. And only Jesus can turn a victim into victory. He does that through faith and through prayer. Will you take him at his word? Unite with others in prayer and see what God will do. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us about about how to pray, how to focus our prayers on, on God himself and not on ourselves, not on a process, but on you, on your promises and on your goodness. And so, Lord, with the disciples, I simply ask this for us corporately. As, as what we call the International Church of Prague, would you teach us to pray? Or not just how to pray, but would you teach us to be faithful in pursuing prayer? Lord, let us as a people and let this place be a house of prayer for all nations, for all peoples, for all tribes, for all tongues. Let prayer become the very heartbeat of who we are. 
both as individuals and as a church, so that you may be glorified and the name of Jesus may be lifted up.